What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. It's your favorite scrappy underdog Trek podcast. I'm David Majors. I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What is up, David? Uh, Just sitting here ready to talk about once again, we have more new Star Trek to talk about. So it's an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan. It is an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan, and it's an exciting time to have a Star Trek podcast because we just get to talk about it as much as we want, and that, that's that's kind of awesome. And we hope you all enjoy listening. Sit down. Have a rack to Gino. We're on the promenade. Relax. Have a good time. Uh, if you're new to the show, uh, we have a little bit of a format, and we're going to start with the new business. And new business is obviously things happening in the Star Trek franchise that is brand spanking new. Like being smack dab in the middle of 20-odd weeks of brand new Star Trek. Now, we saw the premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks, and we talked about that on the last episode. But since we last did an episode of Promenade Merchants, there have been two more episodes. Episodes two and three. Envoys and Temporal Edict. Uh, now, uh, listeners of the show, if you've been around for a while, you'll know that both Heather and I were not as 100% hyped for Lower Decks as maybe everyone else was. But I think three episodes in, Heather, uh, I said this to you uh, when we were talking last week. So far, uh, as the show has gone on, I have liked each episode more than the last. And that just makes me really happy. How about you? I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. My – the – the last episode, the third episode, uh, Temporal Edict, has definitely been my favorite so far as we've gone along. And it was actually the first one where I really enjoyed both the A and B plot, because I mentioned in our last episode how I kind of like the two secondary ensigns, uh, Tendi and Rutherford, a little bit better than Boimler and Mariner. So the second episode envoys where the the a plot really featured boimler and mariner and the b plot featured tendy and rutherford i definitely liked the b plot a lot better i thought that was kind of fun uh getting watching rutherford transfer divisions was was fun that was fun yeah uh watching him transfer different divisions and try out different areas of the ship uh was definitely a lot of fun what I loved especially about that bit is when every time he would be asked to transfer, uh, his commanding officer would say, are you saying you want to transfer and leave, Ensign? And he'd sheepishly say, y- y- yes. And then his CEO would say, would say, that is excellent. And then everyone would just cheer like, hey, great. And my main thought from that was, wow, 
It really is great to be in Starfleet, isn't it? <laughs> Starfleet seems just like the coolest, and not even just being as a Star Trek fan. They all seem so very nice, uh, except for Ensign Mariner. Which brings me to my point about what I was saying uh, on the last episode, where I liked Ensign Boimler, but I really needed Ensign Mariner to turn it down a bit. And thankfully, in episodes two and three, uh, they did. And I find her to be much more, much more enjoyable and, and palatable now. And uh, I liked episode three a lot, Temporal Edict. I think the A and B plot of this episode was really, really good. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed the fact that Boimler, in his own weird way, kind of got a win. And in the midst of the captain trying to make everyone work extra hard while still dealing with a giant enemy invading the ship, uh, still making them work extra hard and have no buffer time, uh, Boimler found a way to make it work. And I thought that was really fun. Uh, How do you feel about episode three? I definitely enjoyed episode three the most out of the three of them so far. I, I think both. Like you said, both the A and B plot worked really well. Uh, Boimler got a win. He got to play to his strengths. And the <laughs> it, 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 it was just really fun watching uh, him deal with the captain. And then ultimately, even though the whole temporal edict played to his strengths, uh, he still got the chance to save the day and, and prove how the rest of the crew needed that buffer time in order to function. <laughs> and then it ultimately, she named the buffer time edict called the Boimler effect. <laughs> and he was so upset about being considered lazy, even though he's the least laziest person on the ship. It, it, it was just very much... Uh, it, it it seemed like one of those classic Star Trek stories where, like the, and ironically they sh- showed O'Brien at the end of the episode, but it was one of those classic stories where the good guy has to suffer a little bit in order to save the day, and that's what happened to Boimler. And going back to Chief O'Brien uh, and suffering. Uh, they made the point at the end of episode three, uh, that the most important man in the history of Starfleet was none other than one Miles Edward O'Brien. And Mike McMahon, the head of Lower Decks, he really stands by this. He really made the case for it. Uh, in an article, uh, he was interviewed, uh, from Star Trek.com. And he made uh, an excellent point about Chief O'Brien, saying Chief O'Brien is the original Lower Decker, moving from an enlisted crewman all the way up to a professor of engineering at Starfleet Academy. That was at the end of Deep Space Nine. We experienced his full life in Starfleet, his marriage and his relationship with Keiko, being a dad and moving up in rank and location, the dynamic between the enlisted crew and the officers and his friendships with Bashir and Sisko, and the trauma of being a veteran on the Federation Cardassian War. And one could argue, this is from Mike McMahon, that he is the most fully realized character in Star Trek, and they gave him a statue. And I feel like 
hell yes, Chief O'Brien deserves a statue. He absolutely does. <laughs> uh, with as much as he did go through, it was, it was actually a pretty strong case, Heather, in my opinion, that you could definitely make a case for Chief O'Brien. Oh, you definitely could. And it absolutely makes sense that on a show that really emphasizes the lower dat, the lower decks and, and the, uh, ensigns and the, the, the lower class of, of Starfleet officers is one that's really going to highlight and support Chief O'Brien because he, he is really truly the epitome of that. I, I mean, he's the one main character, uh, in Starfleet that wasn't an officer that, that wasn't enlisted and he was enlisted and he worked his way up and, and he saw so many different things, but had an entirely different perspective from the bridge officers and the other officers that you've got to know on the ship. So lower decks is the perfect place to celebrate chief O'Brien. And I fully support the statue. And they gave him a statue at the transporter bay because that's what he was <laughs> in TNG. Uh, so Heather, before we move on, uh, since we're talking about Chief O'Brien, I have to ask that burning Star Trek question. Uh, Keiko, uh, are you a fan or no? Because that's always a big discussion point. Keiko O'Brien. I am a fan of Keiko O'Brien. Hey. Keiko O'Brien gets way too much maligned by people uh, in the Star Trek universe, and it's completely undeserved. Uh, She's a brilliant character, and we didn't get to see enough of, like, you. it's one of those relationships where you got to see most of it from Miles' side and not from Keiko's side, and so we we don't really get to see her side of the relationship. But I love the two of them together. I, I I think they're brilliant. I think people need to back off on Keiko because she's wonderful. I f- always believed Keiko O'Brien was terrific. Uh, I think that her and Miles had the most normal relationship in Star Trek. And that was something to be commended for them to have a long lasting marriage with two kids, uh, in Starfleet. That was something to be commended. Uh, and it was further testament to Chief O'Brien being the everyman character that the viewer could relate to in many ways. He, he was, he was very much a, a regular guy in a lot of ways, aside from being a, a great engineer and, and, uh, a chief of operations and yeah i never understood the dislike for keiko yes shippers out there i know dr bashir and chief o'brien are your thing i know but <laughs> i i just never understood why they disliked keiko so much so we here at promenade merchants we we give two thumbs up to keiko we give two thumbs all the way up for chief o'brien and so far, we're, I'd say, Heather, we're, we're giving thumbs up on Lower Decks three episodes in, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, we talked about the B plot from this third episode. We forgot to mention the A plot, which was Ransom and Mariner uh, really having a back and forth in their away mission on the planet. And it gave Jerry O'Connell, who plays... Uh, ransom an opportunity to shine 
And Jerry O'Connell has been shining on the internet lately. I don't know if you follow him, David. Uh, uh, if- no. Tell me about this. Tell me. Okay. So Jerry O'Connell, in my opinion, has been the actor that has been needed in the Kurtzman Star Trek universe when it comes to dealing with trolls. (laughs) Because he has been taking on some of the biggest and very high up on my block list uh, trolls and and toxic fans who are, are toxic to Kurtzman and the new shows and everything. And I, I mean, it's not even stuff he's been tagged in. It's him going out and looking up the Lower Decks hashtag and finding these people who are talking down the show, who are legendary trolls to all of us out there who have been dealing with them for the past three years or so. But it's Jerry's first experience dealing with them. And he has been coming at them with uh, his typical brand of uh, really sarcastic humor in dealing with these trolls. And it's fantastic because so many of the other actors uh, in Discovery and in Picard have gone, had these trolls come after them. And they, they really get so angry and defensive because they get tired of dealing with them. And so I I think having someone like Jerry who's just not going to take them seriously and still take them down a notch uh, is just what the world needs to deal with people like this. I I can appreciate that. I really can because I I am probably a, a little bit more – how do I put this? A little bit more pugnacious than uh, a lot of Star Trek fans. Uh, if a troll does come at me, uh, I will go 12 rounds with them. Uh, and I think that someone willing to be a bit more lighthearted is, is a good thing uh, as opposed to, uh, having to deal, having to attack the actors or someone like me that'll go back and forth and fight with them over it. Uh, I, I can get into a fight about Star Trek with, with trolls. I don't mind, but good for Jerry O'Connell for making dopes look like the dopes that they are that's that's pretty awesome (laughs) that really is awesome (laughs) so yes if you need a good laugh and just want to laugh seeing him take down these trolls uh, follow jerry o'connell on twitter it is worth it and and as always if you get a chance to mention sliders you should do that too because sliders was super underrated show that he was on Speaking of old shows, let's move into old business, uh, where we talk a little bit about what we call classic Star Trek. Uh, not too long ago, I watched an episode of Voyager, because I'm still kind of on my Voyager kick, uh, that seemed to be regarded as one of the quote-unquote worst Star Trek episodes, Heather, and that was The Fight. And for everyone out there that's wondering what episode that is, I'll just say it really quickly. This was the Chakotay boxing episode, where, (laughs) as we all know, many Star Trek characters, they have their ways of dealing with stress and unwinding, uh, usually on the holodeck. Uh, Captain Janeway uh, makes out with Irish holograms. Tom Paris and Harry Kim play Captain Photon. Uh, And Chakotay... He has a boxing training program uh, because that's what he likes to do. 
Uh, so for this episode, Voyager ended up in a part of the Delta Quadrant where they ended up in chaotic space. And it was destroying them and destroying the ship. And it was up to Chakotay through the holographic boxing program to fight and communicate, sort of, with his opponent, which was Kid Chaos, who was supposed to be the representative of the aliens they encountered in chaotic space. Now, I really enjoyed this episode. One, because I love Chakotay episodes. Uh, I think that, and for most of the Voyager cast, I've said this, I've always really liked the entire Voyager cast. And that includes Chakotay. And, and I've always enjoyed his episodes. Uh, also, I thought this episode had a really unique, eerie, almost suspense thriller atmosphere to it that was really, really cool. But apparently, unbeknownst to me, this is like one of the most unpopular Star Trek episodes, Heather. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea because I, I remember really liking this episode back in the day and watching it recently. I really liked it. So I don't know. Um, so I wanted to ask the question to you and you wrote something here in the show notes. Uh, what are some of the supposed unpopular episodes of Star Trek that you enjoy? Well, you know, I, I, I think my, my friend Jim, who runs the Trek Ranks podcast, likes to call them guilty pleasures because he takes the stance that there's no unpopular episode of Star Trek. Everybody can find something they love in any episode of Star Trek, and it doesn't really matter uh, what other people think. So uh, I've had the opportunity to talk about uh, my guilty pleasure episodes from Voyager and Enterprise on his show before. Uh, so when you posed this question to me, there was one in particular that jumped out in my head, which I know pretty much is universally unenjoyed by a lot of the Star Trek universe that I've never had an opportunity to talk about before. And that is the TOS episode, which happens to be the series finale, the very last episode of TOS in season three called Turnabout Intruder. Um, I love this episode. <laughs> I, it, it, when you look at it from the basis of the story, it's an incredibly sexist story. Uh, because I'm it has to. I'm reading the Wikipedia article right now, and it says, in the episode, a woman switches bodies with Captain Kirk and then tries to take over command of the Enterprise. Okay, yes, now now I know this episode. I saw Turnabout Intruder and thought it might have been a court episode, like they were trying to do a Phoenix Wright thing or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, from the basis of the stories, it, it's, it, it's really incredibly kind of sexist because uh, the the woman who forces Kirk to switch bodies with her uh, is actually an old girlfriend of his that he knew at Starfleet Academy. And she washed out of the Academy because she wanted to become a captain. And according to TOS at this time, women were not allowed to be captains. Now that has been changed in Canon since then. But because she was not allowed to be captain, she harbored a resentment towards Kirk over all these years that made her slightly insane. <laughs> so, Heather, Heather, before you continue, <laughs> I have to say this. I have to say it. 
Gene Roddenberry wrote this story. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> sure did. Uh, so when she gets the opportunity to, to switch out bodies with Kirk, she, th- she thinks she's just going to take the place as captain. But she can't bring herself to kill Kirk, who is now in her body, because she still loved him. Because uh, she has multiple opportunities throughout the episode to actually kill him, and then it wouldn't be an issue, and she would just continue on as Kirk. Because no one actually challenges the fact they don't really have any way to prove uh, when it starts to come out that they've switched in bodies. The only way they have to prove is that Spock mind melded with uh, Kirk in uh, Janet Lester's body. And so he knows that Kirk's mind is in there. But they have no medical evidence to prove that. So she could have completely gotten away with it. But the one thing I really like about this story is that it really kind of shines a light on the differences in that time frame because it's very much a story of its era it's not something that would have been written today at least in the way it was told but it highlights the differences between men and women in that time frame and that women were not given the chance to be in command or to command a starship and even though it portrays Janet Lester in a really negative light that she wasn't fit to command. Uh, it, it, it still gives the opportunity to have a conversation as to why she was treated that way. And that a lot of women back in that era, uh, it, if they weren't strong enough to really fight for their independence and fight, fight, fight for their abilities that the fact that they were pushed down like that did have a tendency to drive them a little crazy. So as much as it it, it doesn't challenge why Janet is the way she is, it gives the opportunity to talk about the differences between men and women and why it's a bad idea to treat them not equally. Um, I hope I'm wording this the right way. Because, like I said, the, the story is just bad. It, it, it's very, very sexist. The, the story is ridiculous. I I find good things about it because I, I think it's, something, it, it's very much something that can bring conversation uh, when it comes to the equality between men and women. And even though the, the story is, is very sexist, the, the conversation behind the story is present and is something that can be talked about because this episode exists. So that's why I like it. <laughs> what is it Please that you don't take away my femi- feminist card? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will ask you then, Heather, what would it be as a conversation starter? What would it be that you would want people to take from this episode that Gene Roddenberry wrote? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think I would want, people to take from this episode about the challenges that uh, the challenges that women faced back in that time in the 1960s uh, the the challenges that uh, really occurred because of the inequality between the two genders or inequality in any stance 
when you put one type of human above another one, it creates uh, challenges for the person that's being discriminated against. And I think that that's really the core story that I look at when I look at this episode is besides how it's being presented on screen, that core story is there about uh, her challenges and the challenges that she faced while being in the, the same level with Kirk and how him being treated differently over her caused her more issues in the long run. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, I just think that the point I keep bringing up about Gene Ronberry is the fact that he wasn't the best with women. No, no, he he wasn't. No, no, he wasn't. Uh, But I I think that he, he kind of wrote this episode in a way to make the point that these things should have and needed to be addressed. And he did that a lot with Star Trek, getting these conversations out there. And I think, at least in that regard, it's a good thing, even though this is Gene Roddenberry we're talking about, and he was not always the best when it came to women at all. Oh, yeah. I I, I mean... He got the conversations out there. Did he get them out in the best possible way possible? No. <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, it, and it, it's one of those things like y- you can – I was listening to another podcast the other day and uh, the one host on it said something that really resonated with me. Like you you can be criti- critical of the people who created things that you love and it's really coming from a basis of love. And I think you need to look at Gene Roddenberry like that. He is not some overbearing God who created this universe that is entirely perfect. He's you can't not question Gene Roddenberry's vision. Heather. <laughs> Guess what? I'm questioning it. Gene uh... Roddenberry is not perfect. And no, are... he's not. He is nowhere near perfect. His vision for Star Trek is not Neither was Rick Berman. Neither was Brennan Braga. We could go on. Yeah. So, I I mean, there's plenty of room to be critical of the the people who are behind creating some of these stories because they do have issues to it. And that doesn't mean I don't love Star Trek. Like I said, I brought this episode up as an episode that people universally hate that I actually enjoy. (laughs) And I'm going to bring up another. I'm going to bring up another. Uh, Here is another one that I've seen also being panned by Star Trek fans everywhere, and I absolutely loved it because it is so classic 60s sci-fi that I absolutely love it. Like, the special effects, the plot, and everything. And I'm talking about Spock's brain. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I know that this is one of the most panned episodes of the entire Star Trek franchise, but it is so silly and they play it so straight. 
that Spock has his brain stolen and they have to find it and bring it back before uh, they can't. And just the the planet and the the brain and brain. What is brain? <laughs> it just it just gets me every time. It is just a wonderful piece of 60s sci-fi and it really makes me appreciate uh the the tone and the kitsch of 60s television. I feel like this was 1960s television at its peak, like for good or for ill. And Spock's brain is is really high up there for me. I I genuinely like this episode a lot. Is it silly? Oh, yes, but they play it so straight that it just works. Oh, yeah, I I, I completely agree with you on that. I, I'm a big fan of Spock's brain. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those, it, it's so ridiculous, but the, the fact that they are so serious and, and it, it's a really debilitating issue that they have to deal with even though it's a ridiculous one and it's just played so straight forward um it it's one of those that's so ridiculous it's good <laughs> in yes. my opinion yes, yes. that's exactly right <laughs> it, it is so ridiculous but they play it with such conviction and in i love that episode i really really do uh, so let us move on before, uh, the rest of the Trek community comes after us <laughs> and talk a little bit about upcoming business, Heather. Now for listeners out there, upcoming business is the stuff that is yet to come in the world of Star Trek. And I'm going to start with a story from the man himself, Alex Kurtzman, uh, saying what many a Trekkie has been wanting to hear about the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, this is from the man himself, Alex Kurtzman, uh, in an interview with Deadline. Uh, saying, I think Strange New Worlds, under the guidance of Henry Myers and Akiva Goldsman, who have both worked on Discovery and Picard, it's going to be a return, in a way, to TOS. We're going to do standalone episodes, there will be emotional serialization, there will be two-parters, there will be larger plot arcs, but it is really about... But it is really back to the model of Alien of the Week, Planet of the Week, Challenge on the Ship of the Week. With these characters... Pre-Kirk's Enterprise, I think what people responded to so much in all three of these characters is the kind of relentless optimism that they have, and that they are all at the young phase of their careers. So it is sounding like Star Trek Strange New Worlds is going to be pretty much exactly what everyone was hoping for, uh, that wanted this show to be a thing. And... The whole idea of it sounding like TOS, I don't know how I feel about that. How about you, Heather? Um, I think Kurtzman needs to stop doing interviews about Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think they are trying way too hard to tell people what they want to hear. And all it's doing is just shooting the expectations for this show to extremely high levels. And when it comes out and it doesn't meet these high levels, which I'm not saying it's not going to be uh, 
an alien of the week, uh, not uh, planet of the week type of show uh, with a lot more optimism infused in it than Discovery and Picard. I think it will be. But, I mean, we talked about this when we discussed Strange New Worlds on the show before, and that it's still being produced by the same people who make Discovery and the same people who make Picard. And there's going to be an underlying... Like, I honestly think there's going to be certain aspects of the show that are really similar to Discovery and Picard. And it's probably going to be more of like an emotional undertone because he mentioned emotional serialization. Um, It's it's going to be... There's going to be some adult themes to it because they've shown that they want to make dramas. And today's drama is slightly more adult than it used to be back in the 90s. Um, And it's just going to disappoint people, the fact that they keep using the comparison that they want to make it like TOS. It's never going to be exactly like TOS. And I really don't like that TOS comparison at all. I really, really don't. Um, I think I kind of understand what he's trying to say. Uh, because TOS in, for its time, was a very dramatic show. For its time. Uh, yeah. we look back on it decades later and it's very goofy and very cheesy. But for its time, it was a very dramatic sci-fi show. Uh, and to a degree, the next generation in DS9 were, were kind of in that same vein. For their time, they were very mostly straight dramatic sci-fi shows. And I think that's what Kurtzman is trying to say and that this won't be uh, – obviously, it's going to be episodic. That's pretty much been hammered into everybody's heads. This will be yeah. an episodic series, uh, but I don't think it will be the Orville, essentially. Uh, it, no. it is it is going to be a Star Trek series, but it is going to not be as not as intense as Discovery, uh, because Discovery is a very emotionally intense show. Uh, it is a very action intense show. Uh, it, it's it, and it probably won't be like Picard, uh, where the stakes won't be as high and it won't have as much of a nostalgia pool to pull from. Uh, but what I really hope is that the characters, Pike, Spock, number one, uh, the ensign, I hope that they do develop uh, relationships within one another and on the ship because uh, along with the wagon train to the stars, uh, the thing that TNG and DS9 did so well was develop relationships between all of the characters. And I think that's going to be the most important thing. I think they nailed that with Discovery. Uh, I think they're getting there with Picard. And I have reason to believe that they can do that with Strange New Worlds. Uh, because as we've said here on the podcast several times, the same people that are working on the shows that people say they hate so much are also working on the show Strange New Worlds that people believe they're so excited for. And I imagine that there will be some crossover. I just really hope it's not like 
totally episode of the week where there's really no stakes and everything just goes back to normal the next episode. I I don't think it is, but I think the fact that he keeps using TOS as a comparison when described this show is going to give people the idea that it's going to be. You know what I mean? Like that's why I'm tired of yeah. him using TOS as a comparison because I, you're I giving people a lofty expectation. Uh, there's there's so many Star Trek fans that have just really this lofty view of TOS compared to a lot of the other series. And when you sit how there and say it's going worlds, to be, How will Strange New Worlds fit in with Gene Roddenberry's vision? Yeah, when, when you sit there and say it, it keeps saying it's going to be like TOS – there, there's no possible way you can make it exactly like TOS. So you're not going to hit people's expectations by using that as an example. And I think they just need to stop using it as an example. It's going to be its own show. It's going to be episodic. It's going to have a more positive overtones and optimistic overtones to it. But it's still going to have uh, – dramatic stakes to it because that's the type of show these guys are making across the board. So it's going to be different from Discovery and Picard in its own way, but it's also going to have that drama to it. And I think keep comparing it to TOS, uh, you're going to disappoint people in the end. Uh, Just one last thing that I think every Star Trek fan that is excited for Strange New Worlds needs to keep in mind. Two things, actually. Christopher Pike is not James Kirk. And two, Anson Mount is not William Shatner. If we all (laughs) just remember those things, keep those two things in mind, I think we can all go into Strange New Worlds with a little bit more... (laughs) optimism (laughs) all right so last story uh i got this one just for you heather this one was just for you (laughs) i know (laughs) uh none other than teenage heartthrob david tennant better known to sci-fi fans everywhere as the 10th incarnation of the doctor from doctor who has said that he wants to be in Star Trek. Uh, I have an idea in my head of exactly what he could do. Uh, but Heather, uh, we've discussed offline. You're a big David Tennant fan. I prefer Peter Capaldi, but I'm going to leave this one to you. Uh, how do you feel about David Tennant wanting to be aboard Star Trek? And if you have an idea of a character he might play, because I know I do, what would you have in mind? How, how are you feeling about this? Well, I love the idea, <laughs> obviously, as I'm giggling as you're talking about it. Um, I am a huge David Tennant fan, not only in, uh, like I, I first watched him in Doctor Who, but I've seen him in so many other things from uh, Marvel uh, it, as well as other stuff. So it, he is perfect for Star Trek. And if he wants to do it, I say give the man a job to do. Um, The one thing I think he would be really good at is playing a Romulan because Mm. he doesn't get the opportunity to play bad guys often. Uh, But he would make a 
pretty good Romulan, I think. Um, <laughs> I could see him with those pointy ears. And we already have Irish Romulans uh, in Star Trek Picard, so we could use the Scottish one. I'm just saying. Uh, the other thing I saw from a friend of mine online shared this uh, when the article came out about Tennant wanting to be in Star Trek uh, was the character of Robert April, who mm, is the very okay. first captain of the Enterprise. Yes. And now that's definitely set way before Strange New Worlds would actually happen, but people have been theorizing just because they want to see the character live on screen that they could do flashbacks, uh, time travel shenanigans, whatever you want. So they could somehow bring Robert April to life in Strange New Worlds. And uh, I could see David Tennant playing him as well. So those are my two character options for David Tennant. But if he wants to be in Star Trek, he's a huge nerd. He really is. (laughs) So I can totally understand why he wants to have a chance to play in Star Trek. And if he wants to do it, give him a role. He will be fantastic. Well, here's what I think about old Scrooge McDuck. I think that he, David Tennant, probably in Strange New Worlds, should play the role of Q. Oh, yes! I think David Tennant as Q in Strange New Worlds would be great. I think he and Anson Mount would be great together, kind of bickering back and forth. I think him as Q with number one, Rebecca Romaine, would be comedy gold. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he would really do great being kind of a wacky, sarcastic jerk kind of character in Star Trek. And all of those things to me point to him playing the role of Q. He would be great in the Q continuum. You could even throw in a cameo from John Delancey in there and just have those two going back and forth. Uh, I think that if David Tennant, uh, because I know he's listening to this, uh, if if he were to be in Star Trek, I think he could be Q. That's what I, I love would do. It. I'm on so, board. David Tennant, Alex Kurtzman, I know you're listening. He should play Q. Think about it. Just just don't do the whole Dr. Star Trek crossover thing. Just, just nah, be, be, nah, be a little more creative than that. Do better than that. So, yeah, yeah. That, that would be the way to go. That, that's my thoughts. Uh, Heather would have him play a Romulan or, or a, a Romulan or a what was it? Captain Robert April. Captain April, yes, the original captain from the animated series, which we talked about last episode. Uh, and yeah, I think he should be a Q. I, I think that would be fun. So there you go. A bunch of ideas for David Tennant to make his way into Star Trek. If you have some ideas of your own, let us know at Prom Trek Pod. Join the conversation. Send us an email, promenade trekpodcast at gmail.com send us an at at prom trek pod i'm at call me djm heather is at nerdy gal 33 heather it's always a pleasure doing this podcast with you it is always a pleasure and we have 20 more weeks of new star trek to go and discovery season three is coming it's coming let's go 
So excited. And I hope you're all excited for more Star Trek 2. Thank you for listening to the Promenade Merchants podcast. We hope your Rakdagina was good. Live long and prosper and walk with the prophets. (laughs) 